0: So we also know that not only whoever Balaam was blessed, whoever he cursed was cursed. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that whoever God blesses is blessed. He said they're blessed. Do not curse them. That was his directive. So verse 13, Balaam rose up in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. What he's saying is he's refused to let me curse his people. Verse 14. And the princes of Moab ro- rose and went to Balak and said, "Balak refuses to come with us." Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. Some of the sages wrote that what that is, that's higher-ranking dignitaries, people with clout, people. You know, we sent the first platoon in, and you know, they're they're like our backup. Well, now we're going to send our best, and they know how to convince somebody to do what we want them to do. So he sends those that are more numerous and more honorable. And they say, came to Balaam and said, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor: Please, let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly and will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse his people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, This, this is very important. Balaam, at this point in time, realized no amount of money really is going to get him to do what they want him to do. But they're going to entice him. And he says, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. But then he offers the invitation again. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. See, oftentimes what happened, according to the the writings, these these men like Balaam, the ones who would curse and bless, the best time to come to to the, the decision is at night. I wonder what the cover of darkness has to do with it. But it's at night that they receive their directions. So he asked him to stay the night. Then God came to Balaam that night and said, If, very important, How how many have heard for most of your life that if is one of the smallest words in the dictionary but has the most powerful significance. If the men come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you that you shall do. I call this God's permissive will. Bilam already heard from God. He said, "Don't go with them and don't curse the people." But even though Bilam says, "Oh, even though you know Balak may offer me his whole house full of silver and gold, I can't do anything that God doesn't let me do." Why does he go back to God? Again, I like to think of it this way. The was right here God said no don't curse them but then the money came into his face he says well oh, you know God maybe you didn't really mean what you said over there you know that's a lot of money maybe maybe I maybe you let me go and do what they want me to do verse 21 is 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 telling. So Bilam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princess Moab. Remember that little word if? God said, if they come to call. It's recorded that he didn't wait for them to do that. He got up and he saddled his donkey. Remember, he was a very prominent man, he was a rich man, He he did this for a living. He had servants. Typically, the servants would have saddled the donkey. But it says here, Bilam saddled his donkey and went. He took what God said as meaning, okay, you can go. And we know that's true, that God didn't really want him to go, because in verse 23, then God's anger was aroused because he went. If they call him, call to you. Go ahead and go. He didn't wait for it to call. He didn't wait for them to say, "Okay, are you going or not?" He got up and he went. This is this is. I, I love this next part of this passage. Actually, this parasha is really interesting to me. It has a whole lot of greatness. I think showing how God moves. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. See, he had servants. But he didn't have the servants do the job that they're supposed to do. He was in a hurry to go get this money. Now the donkey, it's interesting, Bilam, a seer, a prophet. He didn't see anything, but the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn. In his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way. The donkey wasn't stupid. The donkey saw that sword. He saw that angel. He didn't want to go that way. The donkey got the message. Balaam's were, eyes were blinded because he was going against what God's directive was. His directive was don't go and don't curse because they're blessed. Turn aside and went into the field. So Balaam, what's he do? He strikes the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Okay, so she takes it, okay? Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot foot against the wall, so he hit her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. Now in all of this, it's interesting to me, the donkey's still seeing the angel of the Lord standing there. And Balaam is not seeing all this. All he's worried about is, why is this donkey slamming me against the walls and taking me off in a direction I'm not telling her to go? And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. She said, you know what? I'm not going anywhere because I'm tired of getting beat for going away from the angel. I'm tired of getting beat from having nowhere to go but against the walls. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord, this is where, I, I love this. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said, she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you struck me these three times? I don't know about you, but if my donkey or horse or whatever, if my car starts talking to me, asking me why I'm beating on a steering wheel, something's going to get my attention in that. If it's my donkey or my horse, I'm going to go get an agent and go to Hollywood real fast. Why do you strike me these three times? Well, I'm the donkey, because you've abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, or for now, I would kill you. So, I don't know if it was typical. I, I, I'm guessing it was, tip, it was probably typical that the prophets of those days didn't carry weapons. Because he said, if I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you. So it's a good thing he didn't carry weapons, or the donkey would be dead. Verse 30, so the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? So it's one thing that the donkey's talking to him, but he's responding because then at the end of this, at verse 30 he said no then in verse 31 then the lord opened bilam's eyes and he saw the angel of the lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face right reaction finally where have you been why haven't you been paying attention until now And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she hadn't turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. See, the donkey was not stupid. The donkey was avoiding death. She was also saving Balaam from death. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Now light dawns. I wasn't supposed to be here in the first place. If it hadn't been for my donkey, I'd be dead now. Okay, you've gotten my attention now. You want me to go back? So now he's got the right mindset. You know what? Okay, I should retreat but verse 35 then the angel of the lord said to Bilam, go with the men but only the word that i speak to you that you shall speak so bilaam went with the princes of balak now when balak heard that Bilam was coming he went out to meet him at the city of moab which is on the border of the arnon the bordering the boundary of the territory then balak said to Bilam didn't i earnestly send to you calling for you why did you not come to me Am I not able to honor you? So, so Balak's getting a little upset here, if he wasn't already. He said, I sent for you twice now. You should have come to me the first time. What, you think my money's no good? You know my money's good. And that's what you do. You're a hireling. You come, we pay, you do the deed. Verse 38, and Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. He got it right. What God says is what He'll say. What God says. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiryat Husot. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. So it was the next day, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. From, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. Repeatedly from this point on, Balak thought another vantage point was going to change either A, what Bilam would do, or B, what God would tell Balaam to do. Because he took him to different peaks, different angles that he could look at the people and see how numerous they were. But Bilam held fast to what he said was going to happen. Chapter twenty three, beginning at verse five, is the first of four prophecies that occurred during this parshah. Then the Lord put a word in Bilam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. See, at this point they had just built seven altars. Bilam told Balak, Build seven altars, get the oxen and everything, and you offer sacrifices. To Baal on your altars. He did that at every one of the three peaks they went to. So it was after all of this that Balaam came back to Balak after he'd offered his offerings on these altars. And he said, when he returned to him in verse 6, he was standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up this oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Yaakov for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse what God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him. I can only imagine right now. I mean, this is all contrary to what Balak wanted to happen, right? I can almost see this. As he's hearing these words come out of Balak's mouth, Balak's mouth is probably like this. What? What is he doing? What, what, what is, that's not what I asked him to do. And from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Yaakov or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of right, the righteous and let me end my end be like his. And Balak said to Balak, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies. And look, you've blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? How many times in our lives do we know the right things to do and say and we don't do or say the right things? But Bilam's doing and saying the right things because He's actually listening to God at this point. He may have been against the Israelites before. He may still be against the Israelites, and we'll find out whether that's true or not in just a few minutes. But he's listening to the God of the Israelites, the true and living God, and he's doing what he says to do. Must I not heed? take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? So he goes over to the other, another peak. He said, I want you to look at him over here now. Here's another side you haven't seen before. So, okay, build some more altars, seven more altars, offer your sacrifices on the altars, and I'll be back. So verse 17, he came to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering. And the princes of Moab were there with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Tippur, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and, he will, and, and will he not do? Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Yaakov, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Yaakov, nor any divination against Israel. It, must, it now must be said of Yaakov and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. I have to imagine again, Balak's mouth is wide open like I cannot believe this. I give this man riches, and look what he's doing. He's blessing my enemies. Verse 25, Balak said to Balam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So Balak answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying... All the Lord speaks, that I must do. He said, at this point, he says, okay, if you're not going to curse them, at least don't bless them. That's not why you're here. You're not here to pronounce a blessing, you're here to curse this people. If you're not going to do that, don't do anything. That takes us to Numbers 24. And once again, another peak, another group of sacrifices. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go, as at other times, to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. So this is the first time Balaam did not go and try to get the powers going and try to pray up himself to curse the people. Every other time he departed, let Balak go ahead and offer sacrifices, and I'm going to go off and I'm going to try to do this thing. But every time he came back, It didn't come out the way Balak wanted. It won't this time either. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up this oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened for the first time, God has opened his eyes to see the spiritual significance of what's going on. He opened his eyes when he came upon him through his ruach. And when he opened his eyes, he said, My eyes are open. The utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Next passage comes from our our weekly liturgy. How lovely are your tents, O Yaakov, your dwellings, O Israel. Like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agog, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies as a young, as a, down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you and cursed is he who curses you. Balak's not happy. Three times, Bilamah stood from the mountaintops and looked at the children of Israel. And pronounced a blessing. Now he even says, whoever blesses you will be blessed and whoever curses you will be cursed. Well, Balak's purpose is to curse them. So now Bilam is saying, if you curse them, guess what? It's going to come back on you. Verse 10, then Balak's anger was aroused against Bilam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Bilam, I called you to curse my enemies. And look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, did I not also speak to your messengers who sent, you sent to me, saying, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will? What the Lord says, that I must speak. Time and time again, Ghulam is reminding Balak and his messengers, I have to listen to what the God of Israel says. I have to listen to what he tells me to do. Yes, I was over here and he says, straight out, don't go. You know, I thought that the money looked good, so I wanted to make sure and I said, can I go? So he said, okay, go but you're still not going to speak anything other than what I tell you to speak. That's an important message that we need to remember. We might want to say a lot of things to a lot of people lots of times, but does God want you to say those things to those people at any time? We need to seek what God's directive is, what His perfect will is, not what he'll let us do, but what he wants us to do. There's a big difference, because we do what he wants us to do. He is in control. He will get the respect, and you will be respected by through him because of that. Over here, he says, "Okay, you want to go ahead and do it on your own. Let's see how you do." A lot of you know I've been there. I've gone outside of God's perfect will. There's my confession. I've gone over here and said, can I, can I, can I, Daddy? I said, okay, you do it. And guess what? Things did not turn out the way I wanted them to. Wait a minute, you said I could do it. Yeah, I said you could do it. But I didn't tell you to do it. You wanted to do it. But any time I've ever operated within God's perfect will, God's directive... Nothing's come back to smack me in the face. Nothing's come from behind and caught me by surprise because I'm operating under what God has said to do, not what I wanted to do. But then prophecy number 4 comes in, verse 14. Now indeed, and this was prophecy directed at Balak and the kingdoms against Israel, Now, indeed, I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him but not near. A star shall come out of Yaakov. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Adom shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies, shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Yaakov one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek and he took up this or, his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites, and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Ashur carries you away captive? Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from, across, from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Ashur and afflict Eber, and, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So, verse 25 says Balaam arose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. But the story isn't over, the story of Balaam continues. After they departed company. Because according to the Talmud, when Balaam saw that he could not prevail against Israel by his words, he devised a different strategy to defeat them. He actually advised Balak to erect tents near the Israelite camp and to seat old women in their doorways to sell linen garments to the Israelites. The old women then lured the men inside the tents where the young women of Moab awaited them, adorned and perfumed. The women of Moab tempted the Israelites to join in the worship of Baal Peor and to participate in idolatry and immorality. And in this way, Bilam succeeded in cursing Israel. Not by his words, but by what he told Balak to do. So who was Balaam? Balaam, whose name loosely translated means not of the people. That should say it all right there. He was indeed called the cursing prophet. He was known for going around cursing people. And that's why Balak wanted to hire him. Also from the Talmud, we, it, we find out that Balaam became so famous as a magician, that's why Pharaoh hired him as his chief advisor. And that's when he instructed Pharaoh to enslave the children of Israel. So again, he knew the history of these people. And he was there from the time they were enslaved through the time that they got out and were headed for the promised land. John said in Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 12, we read, To the angel of the congregation in Pergamos write, These things he says, he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells? Verse 14. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come quick, come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. If you read that passage, there, we have a couple more we're going to look at that refer to Balaam and being of the same mindset, the same spirit of Balaam. John is pointing us to the fact that Again, the story didn't end. Balaam said, okay, listen, Balak, I couldn't curse them with my mouth. But here, do this. Seduce them with your women, your young women, and the curse will come upon them because God's not going to like that. So that's how you can get to them. That's how you can circumvent the system, if you will. And so that's what happened. And Let's let's go to chapter 31 of Numbers. This is actually in the next parasha. But it talks about others that followed his advice and other events that happened in in bringing about this sin upon Israel. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm some of yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. Why? Because their daughters are the ones that seduced the children of Israel into doing the wrong thing and seduced them into sexual immorality. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel 1,000 From each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent them to war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Pinchas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, Zor, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Bilam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. So Bilam finally met his death by the hands of the Israelites. Verse 9, And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt, And all their forts. Then they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. Then they brought the captives, the booty and the spoil, and Moses and Eleazar the priest into the congregation of the children of Israel for the camp in the to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army. Why? The same thing they've done time and time again. They decide to keep something. Remember Haman? And you can boo. He was a result of them not taking out everybody. He was a result of them not being completely obedient to what God said to do. He said wipe them all out. He didn't say save the best stuff. He didn't say save the king. He didn't tell them to do that. They keep getting into more and more trouble because they don't do exactly what God says when God says to do it. Again, God's directive was to take them all out. But his permissive will allowed them to go ahead and let's do this. So he was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds who had come from the battle. And he said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women, remember it was the Midianite women, that brought the sexual immorality into the camp, caused the children of Israel through the council of Bilam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So the Lord sent a plague as a result of this disobedience and this wickedness and this sexual immorality that was brought into the camp. So now this is another ev- evidence that we see Bilam had something to do with that. Because Moses didn't just put that in saying he did it. But he told Balak, he probably as they were leaving, he said, listen, do this. You can accomplish this. Also in uh, Jude, beginning at verse 5, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also those dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moshe, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. See, something we have to understand. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to come against the adversary and against his demons and rebuke them in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. But they've been given authority to do what they're doing. God gave them the authority. Very important thing that Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. Proper chain of command. Proper use of authority. We shouldn't necessarily pray, I rebuke you in the name of Yeshua. We should pray, Lord, you rebuke them because of your name and because you have authority over those demons. You have authority over those principalities and powers. Only through you can we get deliverance from those principalities and powers and those demons. Verse 10, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally. Like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korach. We know what happened to Korach. They weren't supposed to be offering that offering. And they were swallowed up by the earth. We know Cain. Cain died because he wanted the authority and he wanted to be the best. So he killed his brother. Bilam was no different because Bilam went against the directive of God. He provided a vehicle by which the people would be cursed. He didn't curse him with his lips because God said, don't do that. He found a way to circumvent the system. And he said, look, Balak, here's what you can do. I can only imagine that Bilam still got paid handsomely for that advice he gave Balak. We don't see that in Scripture. But, come on, this is a very well-known and profitable man. He didn't give up this information just because he was being nice, because he thought Balak was a nice guy. I'm sure he got paid handsomely for it. And we read right here, it was about profit. So he got paid. He benefited from the cursing of the children of Israel. In Second Peter, chapter two, we also—did we do that one? No, we didn't. But there were also pro- false prophets among the people, even as there may there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them bought them. And bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. It did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous and self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. For they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Bilam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. It took the mouth of a donkey. Granted, we know what, whose voice was coming out of the donkey. It was God's voice from the donkey. But it took a donkey to snap this man into a temporary right state of righteousness where he saw now, wow, I've been going the wrong path. I have not been doing what the God of Israel told me to do. I've been going after the gold and the silver. Yes, I said, even if he gives me a whole house full of gold and silver, I can't go against, but maybe I can get some of it somehow by doing it a different way. And that was his downfall. That was his downfall. That was his greed. The last part of the parasha begins in Numbers chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. And this is where, leading into the next parasha, uh, which is Pinchas, it shows us how a righteous man righted a wrong. It wasn't pretty, but it was thorough. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Why was that? Because Balak convinced them, go down there, do this, and we can have them. We can curse them. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, when Pinchas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aharon, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And Those who died in the plague were 24,000. So because of greed, Balaam went to do what Balak wanted, to curse the children of Israel. But because his eyes were opened and he feared the God of Israel, he didn't speak curses. But because he was a greedy man, he said, Balak, Go entice the men. Send your beautiful young women down there. Entice them. Corrupt them. Have them worship your gods. That will curse them right there. But because of that, 24,000 people died because of the plague that God sent to cleanse his people, to punish his people. But to cleanse his people, He rose up in Pinchas, and Pinchas said, enough. And he ran his javelin through the man and through the woman, eliminating the sin, eliminating the plague. Sure, you might say, but they still never walked completely after their God. That's true. How many times do we read through all the kings, and we see, and so and so did what was evil, from modernized perspective. I mean, once in a while you find one he did what was right, from God's perspective, from modernized perspective. But time and time again, after one king died, and his son took over, time and time again they went back to. He did what was evil from modernized perspective. Every time we see plagues, we see destruction, we see these things coming against us, when the people saw those things coming against them, they repented. They came back to God. But how many times did they slip away again? The temptation is always there. Even for us, the temptation is there. There's, <laughs> I can't even begin to list all the temptations that would come up, that come up against us day after day after day. But we need to start every day looking up, not literally looking in the sky. I remember those days when I was a new believer. I would actually look up. My redemption's coming near. Oh, oh! I can't see where I'm going. You know, I know it was it was silly, but you know what? It's what I knew then. But we know our focus should be on God. What does He want? Not what will He allow. Through the story of Balak, I, I want to I, I looked at, I was trying to figure out. Okay, without just getting boring and saying the title of this message is Balak. It's too easy. But you heard the message title in what I was talking about. The title was God's Directive or Permissive Will. We need to choose, and again, on a daily basis, what are we going to follow? What God wants us to do or what God will let us do. It's hard. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's hard. But if we put our focus and our attention on him and seek him every morning, what do you want me to do today, Lord? What do you want of me today? Just as important, at the end of that day, Lord, I'm sorry I did not do everything you wanted me to do. Help me do better tomorrow. We should strive to always do better tomorrow. Tomorrow we want to do what today, but sometimes some things will happen, and we fall short. but we all fall short. Scripture says all have fallen short of the glory of God, but it's by His grace, by His mercy, guess what? He doesn't give us a second chance. He gives us a second, he gives us a third, he gives us a fourth. He gives us new beginnings every day. All we have to do is look to him. Ask Him to show us those beginnings. Ask Him to direct our paths. Make our way straight. Without Him, we can do nothing. Lord, we just thank You today because we understand that without You, we can do nothing. It's because of You that we have our being. It's because of You that we are here today. It's because of You that we're still breathing. Help us, Lord, to seek your face every day, to seek your direction every day, and then help us to follow that direction. Help us not to look to the left or to the right, but look straight to you. Show us each day what we are supposed to do for you and show us at the end of every day where we've fallen short so that we can do better. We thank you. We bless you. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's all stand. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, Speak, the Lord spoke to Moses and said Speak to Aaron and his sons and tell them when you bless the children of Israel say to them Adonai yair Adonai Vi koneka isaronai pano velecha lecha this way you'll put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them shem yeshua mishkenu hasar shalom oh shalom roma